Last week, we officially started the countdown to March Madness. Now we are under 50 days to Selection Sunday. One of the hottest leagues that could have the biggest impact on the bracket, the ACC. Who's hot, who's not? We are going straight to the source today, and it all starts right now. Welcome Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Happy Monday, friends. It is February 6th, 2023. I am Missy Heydrich, National Women's Basketball Correspondent here at The Next. Thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's PrizePicks.com promo code Locked On. You can follow me on Twitter at Missy Hydric, and then I want you all to be sure to follow the next at the next hoops online at www.thenexthoops.com and this podcast at Locked On WBB. Well, conference play is in full swing all across the country, and the ACC is delivering day in, day out, getting outstanding games and fabulous individual performances. But the big questions for me this week start with who really can win this regular season title? Who's been a surprise? Maybe who's been a disappointment? Who's in running for the player of the year in one of the best leagues in the nation? And what will we see when we hit the ACC postseason tournament in Greensboro, North Carolina in less than a month? Today, we are going straight to the source, and that is my colleague at the Nets at the next, Mitchell Northam. Mitchell's coverage is unmatched. He is also an AP Top 25 voter. So magically, as this week's poll drops, we're going to dissect all of that craziness as well. Hello, Mitchell. Thank you for being here, my friend. Um, it is continues to fascinate me how um, good the games, the, con- the, the matchups, the storylines, and the individual performances have been up to this point. And when I went back and looked at the schedule, there are technically only seven true game days left in the regular season of the ACC. As you sit here today, what stands out for you and what are we going to see here in those last seven game days? Yeah, I think what stands out to me is how just top to bottom, how competitive the league has been. Um, you know, this has been a league, you know, probably the past three to four years, um, you know, because Notre Dame was down for a little bit there, right? You know, when Muffet Muffet's final year and then when she stepped away. Um, it was a league that was really, you know, NC State and Louisville at the top and then kind of everybody else sort of jockeying for for third place, you know, and NC State rips off three ACC tournament titles in a row. You know, Louisville goes to a Final Four. Um, this year, it really feels like a league, um, as cliche as it sounds, where anybody can beat anybody. Um, and, I mean, we we just saw this in the past week, you know. Um, Duke goes into Notre Dame and wins in Southman for the first time. Um, NC State gets upset on the road by Georgia Tech. UNC has their winning streak snapped by Louisville. Um, Pitt just got an ACC win, you know, beating Virginia. Um, Clemson and Wake Forest have, like, kind of surprised here and there. And then, you know, 
you got Florida State and Virginia Tech and Miami near the top as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really a wide-open league. You know, um, Duke has finally, you know, taken sole possession of first place with that win in Notre Dame. Um, but, you know, there's there's a, there's like six teams that could win this league. Um, and it's it's been really fun to watch, and it should make for a very interesting final month of the season um, and then going into tournament time in Greensboro. Absolutely. All right. So we talked prior at the preseason, um, just kind of looking at looking at matchups, looking at teams who could be a surprise, who might be a sleeper. I said from the get go and I, I still stand by it. I I've been bullish on Notre Dame because I just have felt like there was a lot of pieces of the puzzle there for what Neil Ivy has wanted to be able to do the type of um, you know, the system that they've run, the pace of play that they like to play at. You've obviously got one of the best point guards in the nation, Olivia Miles, and that just helps tremendously. That sometimes can compensate for other things. So talk to me a little bit with the injury situation that has happened at Notre Dame, but yet a fresh face that comes in at semester in a freshman transfer. They do lose to Duke over the weekend, but and 57-52, what strikes me is just the 52 points scored by Notre Dame. But as we sit here today, February 6th, what do you think about the Fighting Irish? What stands out to you about them? Yeah, you know, they've lost um, a couple really kind of tough games when they've gone up against sort of the other heavy hitters in this conference. You know, they lost on the road to UNC, and that was before Darren Mabry went out. Um, And then they lost at NC State. And then recently, you know, yesterday, losing to Duke at home. Um, yeah, I think they just have some things that they have to figure out with this injury situation. You know, Darren Mabry is out for the year. Um, we're not 100% sure, I don't think, how long Lauren Ebo is supposed to be out. Um, so you lose a post player and you lose a guard. Um, so they really, you know, I think their top five that they have on their rotation right now, they feel good about. You know, you have Olivia Miles, who, like you said, you can make the case is the best point guard in the country. Yeah. Um, you have Maddie Westbelt, who is a formidable um, post presence and has at, even added a little bit of a three-point threat this season. You know, Sonia Citron, Kylie Watson, KK Bransford, some of these other, you know, younger players that are sort of rising up. Um, so I think Notre Dame just kind of has to find its way this next month and figure out how to play without Darren Mabry. And then if they need to also figure out how to play without Lauren Ebo. And, you know, so I don't know if that is completely adjusting, you know, the style of play that they've been used to over the past season um, or if it's just sort of um, maybe getting a player on the bench to step up and, and fill in. Um, so I think Neo Ivy is just sort of on the fly trying to figure this out. And, um, you know, she's certainly doing it in a, in a competitive environment against, like I mentioned, some of these top ranked teams, you know, that's, it's like every other week they're playing, a, you know, a fellow top 25 opponent. So um, yeah, I, you know, they have another month here until we get into March madness. So I feel still good about Notre Dame as a tournament team, but yeah, they, they certainly have some things to figure out. Well, and I think it just looks different. And as you said, you don't really get a night off in the ACC. And, and I, I think we have to give credit that we um, maybe something we don't talk about as much, but I know it's becoming more of a conversation amongst coaches is the parody that we more parody that we're seeing in women's basketball. It is spreading that you are seeing that competitive nature top to bottom, especially in the, you know, the power six conferences, it's getting to that point. We, you know, there's not true domination. Like maybe we would seen before with that said, this becomes an incredibly competitive last 
three weeks of the ACC schedule. Tobacco Road, where you sit, Duke, North Carolina, NC State, becomes a pretty intriguing story because that hasn't been the case over the last few years, where all three of those teams have been as high profile as they have been. And you got Duke sitting at 10 and 2, 20 and 3 overall. They've won two in a row. So my first question to you about Duke is, is this how good is this Blue Devil defense? Is it legitimate enough? to help them make a run. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly, they certainly have a really, really, really great defense. Um, yeah. I was looking at some of their numbers, you know, earlier today and, you know, they're sixth in the nation in defensive rating. Um, you know, they're eighth, you know, with, for opponent effective fuel goal percentage, they're seventh for opponent, you know, points per play. Um, their defense is awesome. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how many teams in the country can hold, you know, Notre Dame to 52 points, um, exactly. you know, hold, you know, they even, I mean, they gave North Carolina fits, um, even though they lost that game, they held Virginia tech to 55. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they just, when they're on, um, on the defensive end, I mean, they're really, really good. Um, the, the problem for Duke has been, you know, when their opponent scores more than 60 points. Um, so if they can keep their opponent under that, great. Mm-hmm. And things yeah. work out for them. And when they get into a situation where, you know, it sort of becomes uh, like a track meet or, you know, just a scoring fest, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for them to keep up. Um, you know, they do have some players that are capable of, you know, generating their own offense, like a Cheyenne Day Wilson or a Celeste Taylor. Mm-hmm. But they're really at their best when they're just clicking on defense and turning turnovers into points um, and that sort of thing. Um, they're they're not a team that is going to outscore you know, get into, you know, one of these like 70, 80, you know, type yeah. games. Um, I'd be real interested to see sort of a strength versus strength thing. Like if they ran up against Iowa or something like that. Yeah. Um, when we get into March, that would be really interesting. Um, but yeah, their defense is, is as good as it gets. Um, certainly could, could carry them well into March. Well, and I look at the numbers you said it, they lead in conference games in the ACC. They lead the league in scoring defense, 54 point six points a game Mm -hmm. but yet they're 12th in the league when it comes to scoring offense in league games and that's 62 game that's 62 points a game so as you said you could get people stop keep them under 60 stay within your comfort zone that's a different level you can defend at an incredibly high level but i agree with you track meets i move up and down it becomes a little bit more difficult then i've got to have more weapons more ways to score a team that i think has weapons and can score on different levels, play different types of games, slower, faster, maybe controls pace better, has been North Carolina. But I know they're coming off a loss yesterday at Louisville. Um, What stands out to you about that game? And I know part of it is also a really big piece of their lineup right now out for an injury that we're not sure. It seems as though no one's quite sure how long she's going to be unavailable. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's, that's Alyssa Usby, um, who has maybe, I don't know if quietly is the right word because she was USBWA uh, player of the week um, a couple of weeks ago, Um, but has really kind of transformed into one of the best players in the ACC, a really great two-way player, an awesome rebounder. I mean, she, she does a lot of things for North Carolina Um, and they're, you know, North Carolina is a team that is a little undersized. They don't really have a true center. Um, so Utsby is so valuable um, on both ends on the glass and does a lot of their inside scoring as well. And it's just a really smart and sound two-way player. So, yeah, she's dealing with 
some sort of a lower body injury. We don't have a lot of details. Um, Courtney Banghart was a little reluctant to give give information about that yesterday. Um, so it's unclear how long she's going to be out for. Um, so they're sort of in the same situation as Notre Dame where, um, you know, yesterday at Louisville, they were down two starters because Eva Hobson is also out right now. Um, really? she, she's dealing with some sort of upper body injury and she's been out the past couple games. Um, the Hobson thing, they've been able to sort of overcome a bit because they have that depth at guard. Yeah. Um, you know, Paulina Paris has really stepped up in her absence. Yeah. Um, she's a freshman. And Kayla McPherson is healthy now um, all of a sudden. She's playing some of her first minutes and I think through her first three games is averaging like 11 points a game. So, you know, they have two guards that, that have really kind of stepped up. So now they're going to have to find someone in the post to sort of step up in the absence absence of Utsby if she's going to be out for a little while. But yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, when, if, when North Carolina is fully healthy, I think they're, I think they're the best team in the ACC. Um, you know, they, you know, when they were fully healthy, they just ripped off that eight game winning streak where they beat Notre Dame, NC state um, and Duke all, all within that run. Um, you know, so they slip up on the road without two starters at Louisville. I think they'll figure some things out here down the stretch, hopefully get healthy, um, should make for an interesting kind of finale to their season because, um, you know, Duke's final two home games are against NC State and against North Carolina. So I think those two games are really going to be um, important for seeding for the ACC tournament and um, maybe important for bracketology stuff, you know, in terms of, who gets to host? We might have two two teams hosting here in the triangle, which would be great for me. I'll have plenty of work to do. So. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that sounds fantastic. And you mentioned the other one that is part of that triangle, and that's NC State. And in just a minute, we're going to dive in. They've got a big one tonight, Monday the 6th, against they host Virginia Tech. We're going to talk about those two teams, dive into some of the numbers, look at the stat leaders and who are the players that are making their impact in this league. But first, everybody, one of today we are brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. So, how does Prize Picks work? Well, you go in and you pick two to six players, and if they will score more or less than their Prize Picks projections, you can win up to twenty-five times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes the NBA, the NFL, the Super Bowl is next week. This coming up, college football, call men's and women's college basketball, soccer, NASCAR. You pick it. They've got it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals, and it's currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit matchup to $100 with the promo code. You got it locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for the instant deposit matchup to $100. Hi, everybody. I am Missy Heydrich, and thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. The NBA trade deadline is approaching, and Locked On has you covered. Thursday, February 9th, tune in to Locked On NBA on YouTube at 2 p.m. Eastern to hear reactions from the trades that will change the rest of the NBA season. We know there's already a few out there. Who becomes contenders? Who is tanking for a better future? Subscribe to Locked On NBA on YouTube and do not miss a deal. All right, I am here with my friend Mitchell Northam. Mitchell, 
There's a big game tonight, uh, Monday, February 6th, Virginia Tech at NC State. The other part of that triangle, I think the Wolfpack trying to find their footing a little bit, just six and five in this league. Virginia Tech is going to be eight and four headed on the road. We know how good this Virginia Tech team has been, but because of the gauntlet of the schedule of the ACC, it is tough. It's tough to win on the road. My question to you, what will be the key factor of Virginia Tech getting a win at NC State tonight? Is there one thing you're looking at, something that's going to stand out? Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see, you know, NC State's kind of had Virginia Tech's number um, these past couple years. Um, and it's been sort of interesting. I don't know if I would call it a full-fledged rivalry, but, um, you know, we've had that that Kitley versus Cunane thing these past couple years. Well, now Elisa Cunane is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm interested to see kind of how NC State deals with Elizabeth Kitley, kind of having someone that sort of can't match her, you know, mano y mano. Um, so that's going to be something I'm, I'm going to look forward to. Um, the other thing I'm looking at is just kind of how – the progression of Ashley Owusu was coming along. Um, you know, I got the chance to talk to Kenny Brooks a little bit after um, they lost to Duke a couple weeks ago. And he was pointing out, you know, Ashley Owusu comes in as a transfer. And right now, this type of season, you know, if you have a transfers, transfer, transfers who have played the majority of the season, now you're at the point where they should be kind of fully meshed in and you, you understand them and they understand you. I think NC State is seeing some of that, you know, start to happen now. You know, Mimi Collins, the transfer yeah, from yeah. Maryland, is playing really well. Um, Sanaya Rivers is is doing some great things also. Um, but, you know, Wusu comes in and she plays those first couple games, and then she gets hurt and she's yeah. out, you know, a month and a half with her hand. And so, you know, she didn't play a ton at Duke um, and hasn't played a ton really all that recently. So I, I'm curious to see just kind of how she progresses because I think at the start of the season – you looked at Virginia's roster on paper in that top five, you know, Owusu, Elizabeth Kitley, Taylor Sewell, uh, Georgia Amor, Kayla King. Um, yeah. That's that's as good as any five in the country. Um, and, you know, they've sort of – it's it's been a little bit of a mismatch here and there. Well, let me ask you this because I went – I pulled, as I said, in-conference stats. I feel like once we get into the month of February, like we can talk about national numbers and all that, but it is so indicative of how players are – what, how they're doing on the floor, I think, is relation to their conference stats. Some of that comes to the matchups. Um, I always say once you get into conference play, people are way more familiar with each other than they are in the non-con. Uh, the, the scouting reports are more simplistic. People understand they're, they probably have even a better beat on players. So sometimes the numbers go down. But one of the things that was interesting to me was looking at minutes played in conference games. The top two, Georgia Amor, Elizabeth Kitley, 38 and 37 minutes a game respectively. And then in the top 15, as you just mentioned, Kayla King, she's averaging almost 33 minutes a game. So does Owasu give them the depth, more depth, more ability to have different options? Or is this just a Virginia Tech team that's going to play at home, go on the road, they go to NC State tonight, and we are just going to put out five or six, and that's as deep as it goes? Yeah, it's it's something that – I they really could use um, a Wusu stepping up and, and being that player, whether it's off the bench or as a starter, because mm-hmm. yeah, like you mentioned, they play their starters, you know, Amor King, Gitley, a lot of minutes and, yeah. and Brooks really leans on, on that starting five. So, you know, if one of them gets into foul trouble um, or one of them gets hurt, that could spell for a lot of problems for, 
for Virginia Tech. So they could really use um, a player like Awusu um, to, yeah, kind of step up and, you know, come into her own a little bit. And, yeah, whether it's off the bench or as a starter, um, just play well and give some of those starters a break, um, whether it's, you know, just kind of taking some pressure off the ball for them from the, from the defense or just giving some minutes. Um, so, yeah, they're, I, I think that's Virginia Tech's biggest problem so far this year is, is the depth. They just don't have the players um, that Kenny Brooks trusts behind um, the starters right now. And so, you know, that starting five, sure, they're they're still pretty solid. Um, but when you go up against a team, you know, NC State, they're, they usually play, you know, eight players, nine players. Um, you know, UNC's got, got some depth now. Duke has some depth. Duke plays a ton of players. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you, you're going to run into some problems when you, when you face other teams who have that depth. Well, and as we said, seven true ACC game days left. Mostly those are on the weekends. You head into the Thursday-Sunday schedule. Um, No other Monday night games other than the one that is tonight, Virginia Tech at at NC State. Another team I want to ask you about, because I think they have one of the most dynamic freshmen in the nation, Um, and in a, a few minutes when we start talking about who's in the running for ACC player of the year. I think this kid's name is going to be part of that conversation, but they've won two in a row. They're nine and three in the ACC 20 and five overall. How pleasantly surprised have you been at the success of Florida state? Yeah. Very surprised. Um, I think, I don't know if I said it on our preseason podcast or not, but I, I was kind of wondering if Florida state would have what it took to make the NCAA tournament this year. Clearly, that is not the case. Um, uh, to be honest, before the season started, I didn't know a ton about Tania Latson, um, but she is the real deal. Um, yeah. She is certainly going to win um, ACC Rookie of the Year. She might be um, the best freshman in the country and win you know the National Freshman of the Year award. And yeah, she's certainly probably in the running for ACC Player of the Year. She's averaging you know twenty two points per game. Um, but yeah. You know they they've had some other pieces step up as well. Michaela yes. Simpson has been has been awesome for Florida State this year. Um, Sarah, I hope I don't mess up her last name. Uh, Bajetti, um, yes. Aaron Howard, uh, Omira Gordon. Like they they've had these other pieces. Um, I think Brooke Wyckoff is has kind of meshed everything together pretty nicely. And you know they're not just um, you know a team that's going to sneak into the tournament. I mean they. They have what it takes. You know, they could go to Greensboro in March and win the ACC. Um, they they certainly have the talent to do so. Well, in the games that I've watched, you know, they play incredibly hard. They're going to play at a fast pace. They are leading the ACC in scoring 78-plus points a game. Syracuse is right behind them, but not at 71. So, I mean, that's that's a gap right there. I mean, this is a team that when they, ha- when they are on and they can score, that's a big piece of it. If you can control play – and pace of play, I think that becomes important. And sometimes it's just going to be about matchups. That's what postseason conference tournaments are about. That's what the NCAA tournament's about. Do you get the right matchup? Do you get put in the right spot? And where does this team look and where do they finish? That will be interesting. So when we come back, we're going to go and run down Mitchell's take on this week's AP Top 25. He is a voter, so he gets to tell us all about what was on his magic sheet for this week. And then who else? Who else are we going to be talking about when we say ACC Player of the Year in 22-23? Are we going to be in for a surprise? 
All right, but first, from our friends at Built Bar. So if you're looking for a delicious treat, but you do not want all those fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holiday season. I know we've hit February. We all are trying to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me, you want to get healthier, but you don't want to compromise that taste, <laughs> so you've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're delicious, and you will think they're good, and you won't even know that they're good for you. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they're all covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors. I'm not sure how they do it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they're healthy. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around for a box. For years, we've been talking about how you've got to order them from Built Bars at Built.com. Well, now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to the nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. It will be a treat for all of you. Hi, everybody. I am Missy Heydrich. Thank you for joining us here at Locked on Women's Basketball. I'm with Mitchell Northam, who covers and blankets ACC women's basketball coverage like none else. Also, a busy week for him last week, covering men's ACC action, all sorts of stories and headlines out there. But Mitchell, I want to say first, let's talk a little bit uh, before we dive into players and maybe who you think stands out, as we, we've mentioned a couple names already. Um, but anything that's going to surprise or surprise you over the last week on the national scale and impacted how you put your ballot together for this week's AP Top 25. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised to see Stanford lose, of course. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I watched LSU play and, you know, saw them, <clears throat> you know, pull out that game against Texas A&M. Um, Maryland, I was really impressed with. You know, Maryland's coming on really strong lately. Um, I had them in my top five in my ballot this week. Um, and, you know, Villanova, they, they keep winning too. Um really impressed with what we're seeing out of the big East. That's, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a solid conference this year, but yeah, I mean um, the thing that I think about every week, I think when I, when I fill out my ballot is just like how top heavy the big 10 is, you know, when you talk about Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, all right there, yeah. then you go down a little bit further and you got Michigan and Ohio state. Um, and then the ACC as a whole, you know, they might not be as like top heavy and dominant as the big 10, mm -hmm. but um, I still ranked, you know, um, let's see five ACC teams this, this week. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's, there's definitely, you know, there's South Carolina at the very top, but you know, through two through the 25, I mean, there's, there's a ton of parody there. And I think it's going to make for a really entertaining and compelling March. Well, and that's the best thing. And I think that's one of the, the, uh, what we've all been wanting, right? That's always been the goal here is that every single year that the NCAA tournament, even the postseason conference tournament tournaments become more exciting and they have so many more storylines to them just because of the parity that we start to see and that there is talent spread out all across. Maybe not everybody's hoarding it themselves, but it's spreading out across the country and even spreading out through leagues. When we talk about individual talent, I, I think there's some of the very best um, individual players are in the ACC. We mentioned Olivia Miles. I think she's, you know, that's all-American caliber point guard right there. Uh, may not necessarily be in the running for player of the year. But if you had to look at some of the, the, the women that are positioning themselves in that ACC player of the year discussion, who jumps to the top of your list? 
Yeah, I think the conversation probably starts with um, the two players we already mentioned, Tania Latson and Olivia Miles, who have sort of carried their teams, um, at least on the offensive end. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think certainly the way that Duke is playing now, um, and I think Carol Lawson has mentioned this before this season, really the catalyst for their defense is Celeste Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is certainly one of the best defenders in the country, and her offense has come on strong recently too. I think at Notre Dame, she had 14 points and five assists. Um, so she's a player that does it on both ends. And and certainly Duke would not be where they are without her. Um, so I think you have to thrust Celeste Taylor into the conversation. I, I think Elizabeth Kitley is probably still up there as a contender. Um, you know, so that's that's probably the top four. Then you could probably make an argument, you know, for, for a Deja Kelly or an Alyssa Utsby too. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I think that's probably that's probably the group I think the most about um, right now. And I think they uh, will how their teams um, perform down the stretch is going to be indicative of how each one of those players perform themselves. So I think that will tell us a lot. These last three weeks of the regular season, I think, can spell a lot for. Um, not only the the matchups that they have, the rivalries that are headed that direction, um, but how they perform under pressure. There is a lot to play for when you start talking about, as you said, being able to host a first in you know uh, your NCAA tournament games at home. What kind of opportunity that brings, and where you position yourself in those seed lines, because then then it goes down to matchups. And sometimes you can put all the scattering reports out the window. But this last month of this, the regular season and into the non-con or excuse me, not into the postseason tournaments are driven by those top players and how their teams perform. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, another player who can kind of maybe play her way into this conversation is Diasia Fair at at Syracuse. Um, This last month of the season is going to be really important um, for Syracuse. They're, They're sort of a a middle of the pack, maybe you would call them a bubble team right now. You know, if they play really well over the month of February and, and you know, have a good showing in Greensboro at the ACC tournament, um, you know, they could play their way into the NCAAs. And, and Fair right now is leading the ACC in scoring with 20.7 points per game. Um, and, and she's played better lately. So, you know, that's another example, I guess, of one of those transfers in a new environment kind of coming on strong lately. Um, but, yeah, it's – it's uh, it, you know, just kind of like the conference standings, the Player of the Year race is is pretty wide open as well. Yeah, and as you said, Daisha Fair from Syracuse, averaging almost twenty one a game, and she's leading the ACC as of today. All right, before I let you go, sir, um, you had the pleasure because of where you are, and you know, we can never let a controversial. Um, a, we'll just say a, a controversy go by without having the chance to talk about it. So to give everybody a little bit of perspective, um, Duke played at Florida state a week ago, yesterday, Sunday, uh, lost at Florida state. Um, and then wait about four to five days, about four days later, uh, Carol Lawson was in her post game, made a statement about how, uh, they believe that the wrong size of basketball had been used in the first half in the game at Florida state down in Tallahassee. They thought it was a men's basketball. She was pretty adamant about it, her staff, etc. Um, you know, making statements that this would never happen in men's basketball, all of those kinds of things. Um, always a ripple, never probably shies away from it, 
but you saw it firsthand, listened to a lot of it, and give me your take uh, on what you think and, and maybe what some of the, the, the ripple effects will be after this has been uh, these statements have been made. Yeah, so I was I was at uh, the press conference. Um, it was after the Duke versus Pitt game. Duke beat Duke beat Pitt. Um, you know, we get through the press conference, and you know, um, Duke's SID asked, you know, does anyone have any more questions for Coach? We're at the end. Nobody did. And then she said, I have something else to say. <laughs> Went into um, this three minute uh, rant of sorts about um, how she thought that. Um, yeah, a men's basketball was used during the first half of their game against Florida State. Um, and then she left the podium really without, you know, a chance for anyone to sort of follow up on on what she had said. Um, you know, a Duke player, Cheyenne Day Wilson, came in afterwards. I asked her about it. She didn't comment. She had, you know, my coach said everything that, that needs to be said about that sort of thing, um, which was fine. And then the next day, the ACC puts out a statement, um, which, you know, not – directly but basically um calls carol austin a liar um so so to speak i mean they said quote there was no evidence found to support this claim um and so i found that to be really interesting um and you know i watched carol austin's press conference from notre dame yesterday back um and no one asked her about it um you know, that, that press conference was just held at Notre Dame. There wasn't a Zoom or anything for, for reporters based here or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, Kara's going to have an availability tomorrow like she has every week. I'm curious to see if if she wants to tack anything on to what she's already said. Huh? Um, the interesting thing about this is really there's been no hard evidence, um, you know, right. shown either way, you know, from, from the ACC Florida State side or from the Duke side. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen any, you know, side-by-side pictures of the basketballs. I haven't seen any video or anything like that. It's basically Carol Lawson's word against the ACCs at this point. Um, and, you know, uh, so, yeah, it's it's all pretty – it's a pretty strange story. Um, you know, and after that Florida State game, Carol Lawson didn't say anything in her post-game press conference then right. about – this situation um she waited four days to say something after this pit game at home so i wonder if she was giving the acc a little bit of time to do this investigation and um, maybe give her some time to see if the result would be something that she liked um maybe it wasn't and that's what compelled her to say what she said on thursday um so yeah very strange because usually when you see something like this happen you know and you know, you usually see a conference kind of stand by one of its, um, you know, very popular and young head coaches. Yeah. Um, that was not the case here. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Carol Lawson right now doesn't have any friends in the ACC office, it seems like. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see if this story continues, if it quietly goes away. Um, we'll see this week. Yeah, that's the part to me that becomes, I think, the intriguing sort of, you know, underlying outside of basketball, you know, sort of the pop culture concept of this. Is it going to continue to percolate? Is it going to stay there? You know, is it going to be, are we going to having people making snide comments about basketballs for the rest of the season? I don't know. Um, I'm with you. I thought it was very interesting um, how plain and simple the ACC made their statement. Um, when you go back and look, and you go back and look at the numbers, you know, ironically, within that first half of that game, 
Uh, Duke doesn't shoot well. Florida State shot great. Now, they were at home, so there's something to be said for that. Um, but from my 20-plus years of experience as um, an analyst in radio and now in television, I sit there, I watch um, table crews, officials, um, managers, game operations folks all have that basketball there. They check it for air pressure. Um, these are experienced officials, especially in a league like the ACC. They know how a basketball feels in their hands. Most players know how a basketball play, uh, feels in their hands. Um, I would say that Carol Lawson might not necessarily have a lot of friends right now in the ACC, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't have any friends in game operations or at the table crew at Florida State either. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're not going to be friends for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really weird story. Um, and yeah, a lot of people, you know, on Twitter and stuff uh, have asked me, you know, why didn't why wasn't there, you know, more noise, I guess, made about this in the first half, you know, there's, there's TV timeouts and, you know, there's a quarter change and, you know, everything else there, there was other times to do this. Um, Kara seemed to indicate that they didn't really, I don't know, make a fuss about this until halftime. I don't know why they waited. I don't know what the thought process, you know, there was, Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very strange story. I haven't really, heard of anything like this in in women's college basketball you know the years that I've been covering it and like you said you know if you're you know even if you're not a women's college basketball player who plays with a certain type of ball you know for years and years and years yeah um you know even if you're like me who just picks up a basketball every now and then you can tell the difference between a men's ball and a women's ball pretty much as soon as you touch it um so yeah really really weird and strange story um We'll, we'll see if anything else comes of it. Well, I feel like you now are going to get an extra episode. Even if you don't watch, it's going to be a little bit of ACC Days of Our Lives here. And we're going to see how long the soap opera might handle out as the rest of the see the regular season plays out. And then, ooh, everybody gets to go together at Greensboro on March 1st mm. through the 5th for the tournament. So you never know what you're going to get, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> That'll be fun. It'll be a fun week in Greensboro for sure. It will. It will. All right. Mitchell Northam, the man that knows everything about the ACC. Where does everyone find you on a daily basis, my friend? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter um, and Instagram at Primetime Mitch. Um, and you can read me at the next and at WUNC.org um, and sometimes at the AP. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the votes are coming out. The polls are dropping. The ACC is on fire. And that's what we have got for you today. So thank you, Mitchell, for being here. I really do appreciate it. You can find me at Missy Hydrick on Twitter and then all of my amazing colleagues. Make sure to go see us at the next and follow this podcast at Lockdown WBB. Please join me back here on Mondays. We talk everything about college hoops, but come back all this week to Lockdown Women's Basketball for more episodes, more college basketball news and notes, all of the happenings in the WNBA and international basketball. We've got you covered. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen today. Now make your second listen game-to-game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result, Lockdown Game-to-Game NBA covers every game from across your local area with analysis that only Lockdown can deliver. Follow Game-to-Game NBA on the Lockdown Network, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, we will see you next week right here at Lockdown Women's Basketball. Come back all this week for more episodes. Great basketball to be played. We are on the home stretch. March Madness is coming soon. Thank you.